Welcome to Crosspoint. 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 An interactive program featuring ministers and leaders of the Christian community addressing the issues that are challenging the church today. Here's your host, Mark Taylor. In the midst of political chaos and corruption, how does a Christian or any person find hope? Welcome to Cross Point. This is Mark Taylor. Your host, today's guest, is a small business owner. She's a former teacher and state legislator. She's a writer for various sources. And she comes to us today to give us a little bit of insight about what's destroying America and what we can do to help. My guest today, Christy Stutzman. Well, Christy, thanks for joining us today here on the broadcast. And you put out a really interesting book I caught on to a while back, The Spiritual Price of Political Silence. You know, this is something that's becoming a more forefront issue uh, in America, especially. In the preference of the book, you say the book's written to my fellow Americans who hold deep faith in the Holy Scriptures and Judeo-Christian principles on which our nation was founded. And it's written to those who see the state of our nation and feel overwhelmed, discouraged, and brokenhearted. And it's written to those who have their entire future ahead of them, but who view it with doubt. Well, I'd say that covered just about everybody, doesn't it? <laughs> Almost. I think I'm, you know, I'm writing it to my fellow Americans who are people of faith and who are very concerned about the direction of our country. So I'd say that's probably the majority of Americans right now. So you've got a background as an educator. Uh, you've even been in the political realm as well. Uh, and you do write articles and stuff. So you're kind of out there. You have been out there. You've seen where we've been, where we're heading, looks like. Uh, you right. become concerned about these things. Is that what drove you maybe to put this book together, The Spiritual Price of Political Science? Yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, like you said, I'm a former educator. I'm a fine arts teacher. I'm also a music composer. I've been in fine arts for many years. Um, but through a series of events, God opened doors for my husband to uh, run for state representative back in 2002. And this was when we were first newly married, starting off, you know, we had our first child, started a couple businesses, and uh, right around 9-11, we decided that uh, we needed to make sure that our community, our little small-town America, was in good hands, and we had good leadership in different, you know, elected offices, things like that. So um, we started just making ourselves available or going to meetings and, and got involved that way. And uh, my husband served in the State House for eight years, and then he served in Congress. I've had a front row seat to not just the legislative process, but also the people around the world and their perspective of America. And I tell you, I, I never expected to be as involved as we have been. But having been involved as a Christian, as a believer, as a person of faith, and as an, a patriotic American, there have been some points that have been very encouraging and other points that have been very discouraging. And so I wrote the book, especially at this point in time, to try to wake up people of faith to realize that we're unique in the history of the world. And I had so many questions about, well, how do I get involved? And it's overwhelming or, or it's ugly. I just don't do politics. I've heard that. In fact, I have a whole chapter in my book about I don't do politics. And I've heard that so many times. And, and yet when people are concerned about the curriculum in their schools, uh, they're concerned about what their children are learning at their universities. Um, they're they're concerned about the culture, the the uh, decline in morality across our nation. 
um, there is an answer, and the answer is twofold. And so I wanted to address that in this book and make people just kind of stop and think, realize that we are unique in the history of the world. We do have access to our government and those who are in control and those who have leadership positions and decision-making abilities. So I wanted to make sure that we knew that not only are we gifted with that type of government, but we're also uh, given the responsibility and the birthright of exercising our freedoms uh, by not just voting, but also holding those we vote for accountable and being involved ourselves. And, you know, I found as um, someone who didn't go to school for political science and or law or anything else like that, I'm just a normal, you know, American mother and t- teacher, I found that it was a lot easier than I thought it was. And I wanted to make sure that people knew it's easier than you think. So that was the, the general gist of why I'm writing this book. And also, I'm a concerned citizen. I'm very uh, concerned about the future of America. And I want to make sure that we're, it's all hands on deck right now, and we need as much help as we can get. Chapter one of the book is entitled, The Entire World is Watching. And in a portion of that book, on page 19, you say, realizing what the world sees now. And you talk about a delegation that went out, you know, to her biblical sites and stuff, and a man talking. Mm-hmm. But you said the person was pleading, you know, that don't let America's light go out type of deal. And you said the American light was growing dim and the world was watching it fade. I believe that the world is still watching the light as it flickers and fades because they understand something that we might have forgotten. The spiritual and moral health of America does not only affect our country, but it affects the world. So it's just not a personal problem here in America. It's a problem across the continents. Exactly. I had so many people, uh, as my husband and I traveled on several uh, congressional delegation diplomatic missions, um, around the world, many people have been so thankful and recognize the light that America has been in the world. And that's that's encouraging. That should encourage everyone that, you know, our guide in Israel, uh, who said he was not religious in any way, but looked at us and said, I just want you to know that in here in Matthew chapter 5, and we're standing on the Mount of Beatitudes, he pointed to it and he said, you have done this thing. America has done this thing that Jesus said. You've been this light to the world. But I just want to ask you to please don't stop. If you if you stop, I don't know who's going to take your place. And that was a moment that it really hit me that, you know, this isn't just about my kids and grandkids and preserving our freedom from the next generation of Americans. Uh, we've actually, you know, fulfilled what the, the Pilgrim Fathers and those who came here seeking religious, you know, asylum and, and freedom to, to exercise their conscience. We have fulfilled their dream of being that the, from the shores of America, the light of the gospel should shine throughout all the world. It has happened. And I started just thinking about, you know, all the charities and uh, the educational outreaches and the missions and the disaster relief and just the, the list goes on and on that America has done. And people have seen that. They've been affected by that positively. Uh, but for them to look at us and say, please stop exporting your morals. We don't want your culture in our, our country because it's, it's, you know, ruining our children and ruining our culture. Uh, when they're looking at us and saying, please don't stop, it's really a kind of a come-to-Jesus moment, like, wow, okay, so we're failing on this front right now, and they're worried. When you're sitting in an airplane and, and the, the stewardess says, you know, if something happens, you put your mask on first and then help your children— well, I feel like that's the moment that we're at right now. Okay, we got to get our house in order so that we can help people around the world like we have been for the last two centuries. 
Uh, so if, if it's going to continue, we got to look at ourselves first and say, okay, let's get our house in order. Let's have a spiritual renewal in this country. And also let's realize that we aren't a European dictatorship or uh, monarchy. You know, we are still we the people. And, you know, we have no one else to blame for our leadership other than ourselves. So let's take a long look in the mirror. Let's do a spiritual assessment. Let's do a personal assessment and go, all right, what do we need to change here? Because something's not right. I'm looking here in the part of the role of the faith in America's founding. You talk about here on page 31, one of the misleading teachings that America has believed is that the men who signed the Declaration of Independence, who fought in the American War for Independence, were breaking the biblical teaching of living in obedience to rulers and earthly authorities. So how does that kind of relate to today? Is this, you know, I kind of see that when I do look at today and what you're talking about here is, you know, they're trying to tell Christians to back off, you know, hey, you know, you your values, we don't want them here because, you know, you're over, you're overdoing right. it. You know, you're overdoing, yeah. it, you know, <laughs> what you're doing, what you're standing for, that's overdoing what needs to be happening. Yeah, that misunderstanding in our culture is rampant. In fact, a lot of people think that it's constitutional, and it's not. It's from a letter by Thomas Jefferson when he was telling people that they weren't going to have a state-established church like they had come from, whether it was in England or Europe or wherever. They were going to make sure that people's religious you know, beliefs and, and their conscience and convictions, they could follow those freely and not be dictated. Because even in the colonies, they were actually, you know, imprisoning people for speaking out and, and not going to the right church, you know, about they, there were people that were preaching on the, the street corner sometimes that would be imprisoned for their beliefs. This was happening in the colonies. So there was there, a healthy fear of that happening again. And I think what Thomas Jefferson, what John Adams, what George Washington, all those guys did when they established this new form of government was they turn the tables on the idea that we're stuck with the leadership we have. They gave we, the people, the power where it should have been all along. And so when people ask me, well, you know, look at this leader or that leader, and shouldn't they be doing a better job? Should they be doing more? I say, well, maybe they should. But if we think they should, if we think they're not doing a good job, then we, the people, are our own leaders, and we can take action and take them out and put us, put someone else in to replace them, because that's the way our government works. So the government of America is unique in that it is made up of we, the people. It's not even a constitutional monarchy. It's a, a dem- democracy within a republic. It's a constitutional republic, and it really is you know, em- empowered by we, the people. I think what we've forgotten, though, is the fact that the founders made one assumption, and that assumption was people of faith would always be involved in this government. And the reason they made that assumption was twofold. First of all, they said that people of faith, out of their own self-preservation, the preservation of the freedoms that they've been given to by God, will be involved when they are allowed to be involved, because they can make sure that those freedoms are preserved. And, And the second reason they made that assumption was that they truly believed that people of faith, if they were not at the table helping to guide this country, that it wasn't going to work. No government was going to stand without the moral guidance of people of faith and people who were following God and His Word. Uh, so those two, that assumption was made with those two reasons why. And uh, I think what we've forgotten is the fact that they empowered us, we the people. And, they, you know, that we have been targeted for the last 
I'd say century. Um, having, having done a lot of research for this book, we've actually been targeted for almost a century now uh, by humanist Marxists. So these folks do not believe in God. These folks believe in the transhuman goal of evolution. Uh, they are completely sold out to this idea, and therefore they want to rid our culture uh, and our way of life of any type of authoritarian structure, and that authoritarian structure includes the family unit. Uh, so therefore the family unit, according to Antonio Gramsci, who was a you know Marxist humanist uh, in Italy writing from his uh, jail cell where he was, he, he, he hypothesized that uh, you know, they hadn't really done their, their best work in other civilizations in trying to find their utopia, which is always around the, the corner for them. So they decided when they came to America they were going to target our children. And he said that not only the children, but the family unit were the enemy number one because of the authoritarian structure they represented. So they are pushing against authority, no, no authority, uh, whether it's God or otherwise. And that's why you see this, you know, anti-police, you see anti-government, you see anti-God and, and anti-family. So that's what we're up against. And I think we're finally starting to wake up and realize that it's not just... Um, apathy that is the problem there is um it, it, it's a, on the other side there is definitely a marching toward uh their goal uh in a very very aggressive way uh so we have to be aware of that and we have to be armed with the truth well i you know but to me the education system has somewhat become an enemy <laughs> of the family of of <laughs> of America, actually, in a way, as far as America's history, because there's right. all this revision and, you know, of our history that seems to come through our educational yeah. instances and institutions, and especially as they grow, you know, you get mm -hmm. into colleges, universities, and it, it just grows worse. Uh, right. But the book, you know, people was <clears throat> to look at it right now, you've got the spiritual price of political silence, you've got a church you got the blue on one side, the red on the other, and the church right in the middle, and that's where the church is. Uh, mm -hmm. Both sides pulling against it or crushing it, trying to. Right. Because I don't see it's just one side or the other. I see both sides with a lot of issues. Just one side yep. seems to have more issues uh, than right. the other. But if somebody would want to find out more about this book or about you and you know, your ministry, your work, uh, maybe contact you. I don't know if you have a contact way or anything like that that people could ask a question. How would they go about doing this to find out more about this book, The Spiritual Prize of Political Silence? Uh, they could go to my website, and my website is booksbychristy, that's C-H-R-I-S-T-Y, dot org. Uh, they can go there, and they can also find it on Amazon. So just type in The Spiritual Prize of Political Silence, and that will come up. Endgame Press is the publisher, so you can find it on their website as well. And uh, we're definitely looking for, you know, people of faith to actually take action. And my hope for this book is that it'll be a guide, it'll be a handbook for those who really don't know where to start. I've heard from so many people who have read it so far who have said that they're reading it a second time, just digesting everything, but also applying it and taking certain chapters and saying, okay, here's where I can start, and I think I can do this or that. And it's, it's a very practical guide. It's nonpartisan. It's non-denominational. Uh, so you can freely hand it out to friends and family and, and uh, be confident that it's not going to be offensive to anyone on either side. But it also is going to present 
you know, the truth and of the founding and the facts and give them original documents and places they can go uh, to find real good information. I mean, I hear a lot from people that, man, where do I go anymore? There's, where do I, who do I trust for information? So I've got a whole list in there in the, in the la- one of the last chapters called Reliable Resources. And I give a little blurb about each one, what they're good at and what they specialize in and, and how to contact them. So um, Amazon, uh, The Spiritual Price of Political Silence, and then also Books by Christy, dot org. All right. Well, folks, stay with us. We're going to have more right after this. Are you a Christian who likes to read? If not, there's a whole world of Christian publishing out there that you're missing out on. I invite you to check out the Author's Corner podcast, where I talk to the latest Christian authors each week about their new book releases and what's coming next. So if you're ready to jumpstart your spiritual growth with the newest books and the authors who write them, check out the Author's Corner podcast with me, Roberta Foster. This is Mark Taylor. If you miss a broadcast of Crosspoint, you can always go to our website at www.kneo.org and click on the programs page. There you can access the current Crosspoint program as well as the last four programs that have been aired. Never miss another Crosspoint program again. Go to www.kneo.org today. Welcome back. I'm Mark Taylor, and today here on Crosspoint, I'm talking with Christy Stutzman, and uh, The Spiritual Price of Political Science is the title of her book here. A lot of information, folks. And one of the places here, Christy, that I picked up on, uh, which I agree with, page 51 of the book, you talk about the comparisons of pre-World War II in Germany, and you said some say that the Christian church today is facing the same challenge that that of the German ch- uh, church in the years leading up to World War II. They warned the people in faith in America should be vigilant and bold to speak the truth and protect the innocent and the weak from being stripped of their God-given rights and you say, I agree with this warning. Well, I agree with that warning, too. I believe we are being warned, you know, because it's it, we're told history repeats itself, and it does in different forms. And uh, we're on the verge again of seeing things. We've got people that want to do some bad things uh, concerning right. the freedoms of America. Yes, very much so. Uh, there is an underlying uh, effort, and it's very aggressive, that is completely opposed to anything that America has stood for for centuries. And so, yes, in my book, I, I talk about that. And, of course, there's a book by Eric McTaxis called Letter to the American Church, which, is, which compares, it's a, it's a very in-depth comparison of the American church and then the church in Germany right before World War II. I think the only difference that I would have with that would be that in America, I truly believe that we are even more responsible than the church in Germany. And here's why. I truly believe that there is um, a heavier responsibility on the shoulders of people of faith in America, because we are not living in a country that uh, has dealt with dictatorships or, you know, czars or kings or anything else like that. We actually still have the power to get involved in our government and make a difference, and we always have. So, therefore, the responsibility is greater. Um, Our birthright is a birthright of freedom, and with that freedom comes responsibility. My boys, I have two boys, and they love watching those Spider-Man movies, and there's a saying in there that says, with great power comes great responsibility, and I've told them and I've told others, well, with great freedom comes great responsibility, and freedom was not given to us to 
just exercise and enjoy for ourselves. It was given to us at a great and high cost. Uh, many people lost their lives and have done so for our whole history. So I think it's it's very important that we realize that America, the American church uh, needs to be on notice that it is not an option for us not to be involved, and we can't walk away and say, oh, it's too dirty, it's too ugly, it's too divisive, I don't want to be involved, because we were born into a country where uh, not only were we able to live in freedom, but we were also able to make a difference around the world. And if we, as the Church, want to continue being salt and light around the world, then the first thing we need to do is to make sure that we preserve those freedoms for the next generation so that work can continue. That is a great work of God uh, that we have been done, we've been able to do around the world. And, and if that is going to continue, we have to make sure that we have the freedom to do so. Yeah, in the part of your book that's titled I Don't Do Politics on page uh, 61, you say, I believe that as Americans, that loyalty to God should inspire us to be the people of action, applying biblical principles to our decisions and choosing our leaders. Even if we do not like the party system, the reality is we have to work within the existing framework of the political system as it is. Now, that's where a lot of people have issues. You know, there's people who say, well, I'm not getting involved because both sides are so crooked that I'm not having anything to do it. Or right. they, they say, well, I'm this side, but that person there, they did this and did that. And so, you know, the Bible says I can't believe vote for that kind of person. But yet your, op- your options over here on the side <laughs> are <laughs> 10 times worse. And, yeah. you know, so, you know, the deal yeah. of the best of two evils sometimes does apply. But tell people how that they've got to you know, explain this about, you know, not getting involved and the price that it costs when we refuse to speak up and get involved in the political field, especially as Christians. Yeah. I think as people of faith, as we look at the ugliness of politics, it is kind of off-putting, and it's not fun, and we don't trust anybody, and we get kind of disillusioned with the whole thing. It's natural, uh, but when you look back at the history of America— and you look at some of the public fights that John Adams had with Thomas Jefferson or Abraham Lincoln had with his opponents, uh, it wasn't pretty. It was pretty ugly. And uh, they got pretty, you know, blunt with each other. And uh, that's kind of always, the, that's always been the way it is. Uh, it's a lot of diverse backgrounds and, and, you know, belief systems and things like that coming together and trying to find a way forward for everyone. So it isn't pretty. Uh, there is a lot of corruption on both sides. I've seen it. And it, it can be very, very discouraging. I think what we've got to tell ourselves and remind ourselves is that it might not be a perfect system, but if we are not at the table, salt and light cannot be there. So we cannot complain when our leaders are not leading righteously if we are not willing to step forward and be part of the conversation. So when we are ready to make a difference, we have the ability to do so. Um, I think one of the things that we're seeing is the price that we're paying for our political silence. And, you know, the, the church had a, had a break. There was a, there was a separation in the church right on the turn of the century. And half the church decided that they were going to go with this new progressive idea uh, of, you know, well, the government should step in and do more. And they really relegated a lot of their responsibilities to the government. The other half of the church decided they were just going to walk away, wash their hands of the whole political mess and not be involved at all. Um, and focus on, you know, evangelism and, and their call around the world. 
both sides had an element of truth to it, but both sides missed out on one important thing, and that is, but this isn't any other place in the history of the world. This is America. This is where the people have the ability to be involved. So I think we've got to find a happy medium and realize that not everyone's going to be perfect. No one's going to be perfect. In fact, I point that out about the, the founders. None of them were perfect. They were all human. I think what they handed us was a system in which we, the people, could step forward and right societal wrongs. Um, we could actually have it make a difference. Uh, and that had not happened before. Very, very few places in the history of the world had that actually happened. Uh, so they were giving us an opportunity and a chance, basically. So if we walk away and say, oh, that's so ugly, it's divisive, it's true, it is. But, you know, I think it's time that we as Americans, but also as people of faith specifically, we throw out that old rule that we had at Grandma's house where we don't talk religion or politics at the table. I think it's time to talk about both. And I think right now we've got to illustrate and be an example to our children of not only being armed with the truth and armed with the facts and knowing our history and knowing original documents, uh, but we also need to example for them, give them an example of civil dialogue. That's not happening anymore. I think it's because we've all been on our phones and computers and watching our movies, and we haven't really uh, taken the time do our due diligence to, first of all, understand our history, second of all, understand our freedoms and our responsibilities as citizens, and then third of all, example that to our children, illustrate it to our children by sitting around the, the table and taking on their questions, uh, but doing it in a civil, kind, reasonable way and helping them to be able to actually think critically and logically about things and not jump on the latest bandwagon of what's out there in the culture. Uh, they, they've, they've, in it, they've been inundated with that in the schools, like you mentioned, uh, for so long and for so many hours of the day that we have to be a counter to that. If we don't pull them out of the public schools, then we have to be proactively involved in making sure that they know the truth and that they're armed with it and they can articulate it well. So uh, there is, there's a price we're paying. When you, when you look at our kids today, the, the, sil- the silence that we have had in the political arena, uh, the other side has taken advantage of it. They've actually jumped on that, and they, they've, they're reaching our kids, and they're targeting our kids with all kinds of junk, whether it's, you know, you can be whoever you are. God made, if God made you, no, they don't even claim that God made you. If you were born in the wrong body, then you can choose some other body. I mean, it's, it's gotten to the point of ridiculousness. So it's, it's time for us to speak out, and not just, you know, in the public arena, but with our kids as well. Yeah, and you kind of state a little bit about what we can do, page 77 of the book who determines the American culture. You say there, be encouraged that there is a way to renew America and be advised that the way to renewal begins with you. If you truly value freedom over comfort and principle over power, you're a person who can make a difference by being involved. So you're telling us now people need to get involved. They need to run for school boards. They need to get on political uh, committees, I guess, in political field, plus in their community, anywhere where they can, what you're saying is have a voice to speak Mm -hmm. up and do what's right according to what the Bible says is right. Yeah, I mean, it it takes extra time. You know, it takes, like, looking online and going, okay, when's the next school board meeting? You know, when's the next commissioner meeting? Is there, you know, a state representative who's having a fundraiser or having a a town hall that I can attend? Uh, It's just arming yourself with information about people who are in positions right now and then understanding how the process works. I mean, the school board decides so many, makes so many decisions on 
a lot of important things, and they are in charge of a lot of money as well. So those budgetary decisions, whether it's, you know, on what to build next or what to improve or what curriculum to choose, all of that is at the school board level. That's the, that's the front lines. And we've seen moms in Virginia and Florida and, and all over the country starting to run for school board just because they're concerned about their kids. It's easier than you think. If you go to these meetings and just attend and watch, if you're a small business owner, you're going to get it pretty quickly. You're going to understand what's happening. You're going to understand the process. You're going to understand, you know, like if you've run a board meeting before, you're going to get the whole Robert's Rules of Order, you know, what they're doing up there and how they're making decisions. So it's, it's easier than you think. And as you get to know the people who are in elected positions, you have to take the time to do it. But as you do it, uh, you will get information from them, whether it's their campaign manager or them themselves getting their cell phone, their email, and then also just developing a personal relationship with them. That goes a long way. I mean, the other thing we got to do is we got to vet people early. So one of the things that I've heard people say is, well, they're not going to be dealing with, let's say, a Second Amendment issue as a commissioner, right? So I'm not going to worry about that issue. But if, that, if that's one of your top issues when you're going to vote, then just keep in mind that the person who served as commissioner, they just might run for state representative someday or state senator. Once they're in an elected position, they have name recognition. And it's hard to overcome that. It's called the power of incumbency. So once people are used to voting for that name or seeing that name on the ballot, uh, it's hard to run against that person because people are like, oh, I've seen them. They've done a pretty good job. I'm going to support them again. If there's a familiarity there that you're competing with. So Vet them early, and whatever your priorities are, whether you're a pro-life voter, you're pro-Second Amendment, pro-First Amendment, health freedom, whatever it is, vet them very carefully at the lowest level because you never know when that person's going to move up the ladder and they're going to be making decisions on all of those priorities to you, and you will also have a personal relationship with them if you have reached out, helped, uh, walked in a parade, made phone calls for them. If you have been a part of their campaign, you're going to have an inside scoop to everything that they're doing, whether it's their next legislation or whether it's their next fundraiser. So uh, it's easier than you think, and it just takes a little, little effort to be involved. Okay, before we go out of this session here, tell me, or tell our listeners, how can they find out more about this book, The Spiritual Prize of Political Science? Yeah, they can go to my website. It's booksbychristy.org. Or they can find it on Amazon. You can get that pretty quickly right now. Um, so Amazon has it there. And would love to have some reviews. I've had some people giving me some great feedback on the book. And if you could give me reviews as well, that would be great. Um, it's published by Endgame Press. Um, it's a great publishing company run by um, a dear friend of mine from college who's trying to make a difference with their book. So Endgame Press, Amazon, or booksbychristy.org. All right. Well, folks, stay tuned. We'll be back in just a moment. Never miss your favorite show again. For more than 30 years, KNEO has been bringing you great Bible teachers on a local and national level. And now, we've made it easier than ever to hear from these great men and women of God. KNEO's entire lineup is now available to listen anytime, anywhere, through our website. Go to KNEO.org slash podcast to see all the options. You can search for programs alphabetically, or you can select individual categories like culture, kids, leadership, or music. We even have a category just for locally produced programs so you can hear from pastors and spiritual leaders located right here in the four-state area. And all these resources are absolutely free. Kaneo's mission is to get God's Word in front of you, and this is one of the ways we do it. 
Give it a try today. Go to KNEO.org and click on the podcast tab to get started. On purpose, with a purpose. For a purpose. To get God's truths into their lives. Share God's love with people who need encouragement. You get the truth of God out there and it resounds and it resonates. 91.7 The Word. It does amazing things in people's lives. Thanks for listening today here, folks. Uh, the discussion we're having here with Christy Stutzman. And we're talking about the spiritual price of political silence. And uh, you say here in chapter 6, you talk about uh, be vigilant for truth. Now, Christy, this is where we're having a lot of issues. Truth's mm-hmm. becoming rare. Uh, people are yeah. being told. I mean, we've been told lies before, but never like we have now. Yeah. Uh, yep. and mistruths, disinformation, and yet the other side's pointing all the fingers saying we're doing it, or they're doing <laughs> it, or her doing it, whatever. And yeah. uh, what we're having, you know, plus an increasing uh, hostility that's just one-sided and this mm-hmm. political activism and stuff. So there is sometimes a area where people are being intimidated by all of this. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've seen it before, but I've never seen it this bad. And it seems like it, it get, it's getting worse all the time. So yeah. if people don't step up now, will there be a later? Well, I do believe that we are at a crossroads like we've never seen before. I I feel like we're halfway over the precipice, and uh, it's going to take every hand that we have uh, to pull us back. So we are definitely at a turning point in this country. Uh, It's another reason I wrote this book, because we're we're paying the price. Our kids are paying the price right now, mainly, that I'm seeing. Uh, They just are being raised in a society that is void of truth. Um, they're being told so many lies, like you said, that it's hard to combat it as a parent um, and as a member of society. Yes, we are being intimidated by our own government many times. Um, the government has been, you know, take, has taken action that I have never in a million years would have dreamed would happen in America against its own citizens. So we're definitely in a time of trial and difficulty. But, you know, in those moments, is when uh, the truth will shine. It will shine brighter. As I've talked to people across the country just in in the recent months, I have seen pockets of spiritual renewal happening in different places around the country. There's reports of it. uh, There's experiences of it where people are starting to see a spiritual revival, a spiritual renewal in heart. I I believe it's, it's probably rooted in the fact that there has been a void there. Um, whenever there's a void, people start be- to become starved for the truth. They, they start searching it because nothing else is going to fulfill them. Uh, when, when they find truth, they cling to it. And you're seeing movements like uh, TPUSA, the Turning Point USA, and uh, Prager University, and, and so many others that are starting to uh, emerge uh, as young people-driven. I mean, this is, this is really being fueled by the energy that young people have who might have been in public school and realized that what they were being said was a bill of lies, and so they're searching for the truth, and they're finding it, and they're being, uh, you know, energized by it. Um, there's, there's so many factors that are happening right now in America. Uh, there's a prayer movement, you know, mothers that are deciding that they are going to pray, and then they were also going to take action. Moms who are actually, actually taking action and running for office. Uh, Moms for Liberty is another group that just popped up recently, um, and there's so many others that are 
have been, you know, stalwarts for years, but you see these new uh, pockets of, of action and activity. But yes, I believe we are at a turning point, and we need every able-bodied person of faith in America to take action. And that's what this book does. It gives you the tools and the understanding of the whole process to know, where do I fit in? What can I do? Uh, what What is my gifting, and what can I bring to the table? I mean, my husband, when he was running for state representative, we had to go to a bunch of different dinners, and we were supposed to bring a, a door prize, you know, some type of a thing. And um, I am not very crafty as far as, like, making handmade crafts, but there's this lady in our community that was. And I asked her if she could make some patriotic crafts, and she did a beautiful job and contributed them to the campaign. That was her contribution to us, and it, it really it saved us money and time and, and was beautiful, and it made a difference. I mean, and then there's another lady that was so good at phone calling. She was excellent on the phone, and we put her on the phones, and she called thousands and thousands of people. Um, you can send emails. You can make comments on, you know, websites about why you support this candidate. You can, you can uh, talk to your friends and neighbors, or you can run for office. So there's so much to do, and there's so much to be positive about, but... You know, even though we're being intimidated, even though our government is is almost aggressively uh, taking action against people of faith, uh, we have to take heart in the fact that the truth is on our side. The truth still exists. And it's not my truth or your truth. It's God's truth. And God's truth will win out in the end. We might suffer persecution. We're never promised an easy road. But we are promised uh, that he will be faithful as we are faithful. And so that's what we need to do here uh, in America right now. You do mention something on page 113 of the book that I uh, believe is becoming more of an issue. Uh, It's called The Church Divided. There you've got a Mm -hmm. section you write about. And I believe there's beginning to be more of a separation of religion and Christianity. Uh, Mm -hmm. Before it's all been looped together, but I believe we're seeing it starting to split. And Mm -hmm. uh, we're seeing a religious side of people, but that's what they are. But then those that are more biblical uh, in their beliefs and the Christianity side. But we're seeing a war open zone open up there, you know, where we've got churches agreeing now that, you know, people can live however they want to, and that's okay with God, even though the Bible specifically says it's not, mm-hmm. and yep. it's twisting all these things. How do we address this issue? Well, yeah, the Bible does say, does say um, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And we have to be very careful that we know our Bible well, that we know the Scriptures, that we understand that uh, you know God has a structure and a system set in place. He, he is a God of order. And when we get out of order with, with God's natural order and God's natural law, there will be consequences, and that's what we're facing right now. Yes, there's a lot of uh, misguidance, especially um, in big-name leaders who are teaching things that just aren't found in Scripture. So, you know, um, in, in the New Testament, it talks about how um, there was a church there who sought the Scriptures to see if those things were so, that they were being told by the leaders. So they were searching earnestly. I think we've got to be diligent and do the same. Um, we have to be armed with the, the truth, and the truth is not from some big-name leader's mouth. The truth is found in the Word of God, and we have to go there and make sure that we're, we're well-versed in, in everything that he says to do. Um, but we, we have to stay strong, and, you know, we have to be vigilant. Uh, my my seven-times great-grandmother, she was a Quaker, 
she came over seeking religious freedom here in this country in the 16, late 1600s, and she lived during the War for Independence, and she, she had a little farm there uh, close to Valley Forge, actually. And uh, along the, I can't even pronounce the river, it's a, it's a <laughs> I think it's a Welsh name for the river, but anyway, she was living there, and her first cousin was Anthony Wayne, General Anthony Wayne under George Washington, and he encamped on her farm during the winter of Valley Forge. Uh, she nursed the sick and took care of the wounded and saved a lot of lives, but uh, on her deathbed, she looked at her family, and with her last breath, she said, be valiant for truth. Um, and it has become my life motto, and I hope it encourages your heart, too, and those that are listening. Um, valiant is not a word I would expect a little Quaker woman to say. It's a word of, of battle. Uh, but I think what she realizes is that there is a spiritual battle going on, and we, there will always be a spiritual battle. And so the only thing that I truly believe that we, that we ever should be valiant for is truth. But we have to know that truth. We have to understand it. And we have to hide it in our hearts. Uh, so arm ourselves with the truth, and that's what this book does. You know, it, it gives you resources and, and uh, original documents and, and quotes and just as much information as I can about our history, but it also is very honest about where this cultural Marxism has come from, where the humanists want us to go. They want us to be transhuman, you know, so we're going to evolve past limitations of this body and become some type of a digital god. I don't know what they're thinking, but uh, it's insane. And we have to be aware of where it came from and where they want to take us. And then we also have to know what we can do to make a difference. And uh, as the church, we've got to um, not, not just uh, follow leaders, but follow God and make sure that we're uh, doing what we need to do in order to fulfill his, his mission on this earth. Well, over the last few years, we've had situations with voter turnouts and how those things have shifted dramatically. Uh, yes. You say here in the book on page 141, to stay involved, engaged, uh, informed, and engaged. As a, a citizen, your job is not <clears throat> over after you cast your ballot it, on Election Day. Holding election elected officials accountable for their actions or lack of actions while in office is important and sacred duty of engaged citizen. This is part of the mm -hmm. problem with our political system today. And that is true. We get people into office, and then they no more going to do what they said they was going to do, or all of a sudden <laughs> they seem to have changed their mind on something. Uh, yeah. that, and really, in all honesty, they always believe that anyway. They just right. used it, you know. But what do you do when you've got bad people in there and you need to get those bad people out? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what it goes back to vetting them in the beginning. I mean, if they're not on the same page with you, they don't have the same worldview as you do. Uh, that's flat red flag number one. Uh, but once they get in there, you know, making sure, holding their feet to the fire and that they're not influenced by money or lobbyists or anything else has got to be an act of vigilance on our part as well. And it's possible to do that. We just have to take the time and, and, and effort. We just can't go on autopilot. I think America was never meant to be on autopilot. It won't work on autopilot. It's got to take action. It's got to take people, you know, being vigilant. But, you know, when we get people in there, especially, you know, in recent years, I'd say the last 20 years, our, our Secretary of State positions have been targeted by the left, uh, by radicals who know the Secretary of State protects our voter integrity. You know, they, they protect our voting system. And they have made sure that they got radicals in place that have not protected the voting system, have not protected our votes and kept them sacred. So even the Secretary of State, uh, the, the Treasurer, I mean, any number, the, the Department of Education, all of those, you know, positions um, have become radicalized. 
So we have to um, make sure that we vet people early, uh, that we keep track of them. We don't just say, all right, good, they're a good person. I'm just going to trust them the rest of the time. Check in with them. You know, um, when I was a state representative, I, I told my staff, when a constituent comes in and wants to talk, they are priority number one. I don't care if, what any, if, if there's a meeting with anybody else and what they're representing, if there's an association or a lobbyist. Or, no, the con- constituents actually are paying me. They are, the, they are the boss. And so when they come in, I want to hear what they have to say. Um, conversely, when you do talk to your legislators, uh, and you're passionate about an issue or something like that, just be careful and be aware that the legislative process isn't uh, set in stone. In other words, I could author a bill, and you like my bill, and you want to see it pass, uh, but then as I go through the process, I realize it's going to make a better amendment than a bill. So I'm going to amend it to a different bill, and so it might not be called the same thing. So it changes through the process. Don't be obstinate with your legislator and say, oh, no, this is the bill and, you know, this is where it is and it's going to go to this committee because it might change during the process. So be open to hearing what your legislator has to say, especially if they're someone who has your best interest and your same worldview. Uh, but then, you know, when you're talking to legislators, be respectful, but also be knowledgeable about the issues and be ready to ask important questions to make them think. Uh, one of the things I found was very effective as a legislator, especially when talking to other legislators, was to do a lot of listening and then ask poignant questions to really make them think and explain themselves as to why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, a lot of times that's more effective than arguing or getting upset. Uh, it's just asking a real pointed question and then just kind of leaving it there and letting it chew on it. Uh, so be be um, aware, you know, of issues that are coming up and also be a reasoned person as you're approaching them. And always keep in mind that you have the ability to run for office yourself um, and be, be ready for uh, persecution. Um, my, my husband and I have endured a lot over the years, and it ain't been fun. But I'll tell you, it's worth it in the end when you can sit at the table and make the right decisions and you can save lives or you can uh, cut through red tape or, you know, get rid of bureaucracy. Um, but there will be opposition to you, especially if you're a person of faith and you're open about it. And I want to encourage you, if you do run for office, be open about your faith. Be bold about it. It will save you a lot of headache in the end of trying to explain to people where you stand behind the scenes. If you explain it from the outset and you set that standard, there will be lobbyists that will just avoid you because they know there's no point in in lobbying you about anything on that issue. Um, So make sure that you're clear about your faith and uh, be prepared to be persecuted because you will, uh, but stand strong and stand firm. Yeah, and you talk about that at the end of your book, or towards the end anyway. You talk about the foundations of our beloved nation are starting to crumble beneath our feet. You list everything that is involved in that, and then there you say, with God's help, it will be the people of faith and virtue who save America. So that's how important it is for the church, the Christians, to become involved in this, because they're the really ones right now that's going to have to stand in the gap, aren't they? They are, and you'll be surprised if you ever serve in office that... um there is a sense of uh, right and wrong, black and white. There's a clarity uh, to your decision-making as a person of faith. Um, you, you have a moral compass, and it will make decision-making a lot easier for you. Now, there's going to be you know, issues that where there's going to be lots of debate, whether how much money we spend on building this bridge or you know, just changing it to this road or whatever. But the, the main issues, that guide the moral compass of this this country 
um, those are going to be easy decisions for you, and you will be able to affect others around you as you lead. I've seen someone who changed the whole direction of a committee meeting simply by standing on principle and explaining it well. Uh, so as a person of faith, you have a moral compass and a guide, and you have the, a power in you uh, that will allow you to be effective and allow you to make a difference more than any more than anything else. And that's that's our hope, and that's that's what we can do. Christy, tell us again before we leave, how does people find out about this book, The Spiritual Price of Political Silence, and other things you do? Well, you, you can find it on Amazon, so just type in The Spiritual Price of Political Silence. Um, and if you like the book, please leave a review as well. Um, and then you can find uh, more information about me. I'm, I'm available to speak and uh, present and do some, you know, training. So my website is org. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, also my publisher is Endgame Press. They're a great publishing company. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today here on Crosspoint. Thanks so much for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Well, folks, good interview today here with uh, Christia. Something, a book you ought to stick in your nose in and read because it needs to stir us up of what's going on in America. Yes, when good people do nothing, when Christians will not run for office, it puts us in a very bad position. And we can see how that's uh, really affecting us uh, in, in the higher levels of leadership. If you'll stick with this other book, I hold in my other hand, too, the Holy Bible. This is the main book you've got to stick with. As you go through life, it will lead you to make the right decisions, and it will show you what to do for everything everything you face in life. It's inspired words of God. It contains the most important words you're ever going to read and certainly ever follow. Be sure and join us again next time as we again discuss issues that are affecting the church. Have a great week, and allow God to use you for His purposes so that greater things can be done. Make your life count in God's plans for eternity. I'm Mark Taylor. Crosspoint is a program produced in Studio 101 at KNAO Radio. Not all of the views on Crosspoint reflect those of the management or staff of KNEO. You may contact the Crosspoint program at 10827 Highway 86 East, the Osho, Missouri 64850, or by email crosspoint at kneo.org. You can hear Crosspoint four times a week Saturday morning at 1, Saturday afternoon at 2, Saturday evening at 9, and Sunday evening at 7. You can also listen anytime online at kneo.org. God's Word speaks truth, God's Word speaks life. And God's Word speaks to us today. Hi, I'm Pastor John Marins of the Granby Christian Church. Each week we explore God's Word together on In the Shadow of Your Wings, a radio broadcast on KNEO. Tune in each Saturday at 6.45 p.m. to hear the show. And if you ever miss it, you can always view the archive online at kneo.org. We also have the program available as a podcast as well, so you can listen anytime, anywhere. It's available from Sky High Podcast Network. I invite you to check out the show and learn more about our incredible God and how He cares for you. You can trust Him. You can depend on Him, and you can rest in the shadow of His wings. 
Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri is proud to be sponsoring this portion of broadcasting on KNEO. Owned by Judy and Danny Harper, Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri specializes in French Bulldogs. For more information, the phone number is 417-628-3083.